0: Hello and welcome to Plot Trip. This is Lane. This is Meg.
1: And today we're reviewing Devil in Winter by Lisa Kleypas.
0: So this was published in 2006 and is number three in the Wallflower series, which I'm sure you've noticed we are
1: recapping. Yeah, we're doing most of Kleypas's in order, I feel like.
0: Well, ever since the second of the Bow Street Runners, yeah, I think we're just going to keep going in order because they all connect now.
1: Well, we did the second and the th- Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I got it. We skipped the first.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. We skipped the first. I don't think we're going to go back and read it because it's extremely problematic. And this is coming from me, who
1: loves Devil in Winter. I've never read the first Bow Street Runners, so I cannot comment. Yeah. I, I think I warned
0: Lane away. I was like, don't you like, you will not want to read this book.
1: <laughs> so I'm going to just put out before we even get into the summary that this may be the most we've ever disagreed on the podcast.
0: It's definitely possible. This is my favorite of the wallflowers and the only one that
1: I will consistently reread. But this is also like beyond just the wallflowers and the claypus metric, one of your favorite romance novels.
0: Yeah, I would probably say it's one of my favorite romance novels. Yeah.
1: And I I I don't know why. I don't know if it's when I'm reading it, because I don't have the nostalgia factor of having read it ten years ago. I don't know if it's having read the series in order. But, man, I can't get into this, <laughs> to say the least. So um, let's just dive right into it with Book Jacket.
0: I'm Sebastian Lord St. Vincent. I can't be celibate. Everyone knows that.
1: Desperate to escape her scheming relatives, Evangeline Jenner has sought to help the help of the most infamous scoundrel in London. A marriage of convenience is the only solution. No one would have ever paired the shy, stammering wallflower with the sinfully handsome Viscount. It quickly becomes clear, however, that Evie is a woman of hidden strength, and Sebastian desires her more than any woman he's ever known.
0: Determined to win her husband's elusive heart, Evie dares to strike a bargain with the devil. If Sebastian can stay celibate for three months, she will allow him into her bed.
1: When Evie is threatened by a vengeful enemy from the past, Sebastian vows to do whatever it takes to protect his wife, even at the expense of his own life. Together they will defy their
0: perilous fate for the sake of all consuming love.
1: This is like, like really terrible book jacket. It's it's weird, but I'm trying to put my finger on why, because I will say I think this book jacket does a good job of hitting high points of the plot without spoiling, mm-hmm. and yet somehow it's still terrible. It's, I think because it's so generic. That might be it, because like it hits at the fact that she's looking to escape her scheming relatives, she goes to a scoundrel, they agree to a marriage of convenience, it's, an it's like it's a surprising union, hmm. And they come into an agreement as to while, what conditions need to be met for her to have sex with him. And there's a vengeful enemy like the plot is there and it's not inaccurately portrayed, but yeah. somehow it's still very, very bad. It's I it just it's
0: not specific enough. I think that's the problem. And I mean, I get it. They're trying not to give away some of the things that happen. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, there's not, there's nothing that makes us realize what makes these characters special. hmm
1: <laughs> Well, let's get to, let's get to our jackets. Uh, so I, I will say, I tried really hard not to read your summary. So I, even though like you wrote it before me, I have not heard this yet.
0: Yeah, it's, so it's interesting because we do hit some of the same points. Okay. So here's, here's my summary. So our random number, this episode was 37. Evie needs a husband as ruthless as her evil relatives to escape their clutches. Luckily, she just happens to know that the man who unsuccessfully kidnapped her best friend needs some cash, which Evie has in spades.
1: Okay, so you went with like the first eight pages. Yeah. Your summary is like the first eight pages of the book. With a really cool pun. With a really cool pun. Yeah. But it's using, like, I'm just pointing out that that's not like the summary of the book. That's the summary of the setup.
0: Yes. But if I were going to write a book jacket, that is what I would push on. I wouldn't do anything else. If I honestly, if I were writing a book jacket, that's what I would write. I wouldn't have written any of that other crap.
1: And that would have made it better. I see that point. Like, trying to describe the plot without spoiling it just made it generic. You're entirely right. Yeah. All right. So, my 37 word summary. Sebastian needs an heiress. Evie needs protection. Too bad Sebastian is an overgrown child who never learns to express his feelings using words, except to overreact and insult her. Oh, and he kidnapped and violated her friend. Oh, Lane, you can't appreciate Sebastian.
0: (laughs) I see that now.
1: (laughs) I'm actually, and I don't say this insultingly, like I get it. I have several problematic faves, and maybe one, one, one day we'll review *Remembrance* by Jude Devereaux, which I recognize as bad and Meg hated, but I love. <laughs> oh my God, but the worst! I'm so surprised, given how like jealous and domineering and controlling and emotionally stunted Sebastian is, that this is the like guy you make an exception for.
0: I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. No.
1: I, and like, yeah. like I said, I have my problematic faves. I get it.
0: My fave is problematic. Yes, I recognize it. I recognize it. And and yet I really like this book.
1: Legit. So um, this is Lisa Kleypas. So, of course, it is a trope factory. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, he's the rake who's going to be reformed by the end of the book. And I would make an argument, both from talking to you and from the limited amount of reading I've done on the romance genre, that he is like the prototype of the rake reformed. Oh,
0: I agree with you. Yes, he is. Clephus uh, does a lot of bad dudes. Like we've seen a lot of ra- not a lot of rakes, but we've seen a lot of problematic heroes from Kletus. Uh, But I would agree with you that, yeah, he's sort of like the epitome of the rake
1: Any article talking about reformed rakes mentions him,
0: right? Because there are, I mean, there are books like um, Julia Quinn's *The The Duke and Not the Duke and I*, um, *The Viscount Who Loved Me*. He's supposed to be this like amazing rake and blah blah blah, right? We don't actually see him be rakish in the book, right? You can't escape the fact that I mean, I like Sebastian, and. I agree with Lane that Clapus does a great job of
1: showing him as being kind of an asshole. I will say, though, that this has the same benefit of the Viscount Who Loves Me in that during their sexy times, you really appreciate his wealth of experience. Yeah,
0: yeah, you do. I think that's one of the reasons I can forgive Sebastian a lot of things.
1: Yeah, and I had we'll get to this with sexiness but like it's very hard to objectively loathe something and still kind of be like okay but this is hot <laughs> like i don't love anything about this book but the sex scenes were inspired
0: well and the thing is <laughs> Claypist, like if you think about when we talked about um worth any price the same thing like you were not into nick gentry as a hero but you were into him in the bedroom
1: yeah okay but Nick Gentry I had different problems <laughs> <laughs> and we'll get there yeah. um so in the tropiest of tropes what how does Evie come into her money oh because her father ran a gaming hell and they've inherited it yeah so
0: Evie's so. inheriting all the money from the gaming hell and now yeah. Sebastian needs to run it is gonna run it so which oh we'll God. get to we'll get to it too yeah one of my favorite tropes, which, which is the Eloping de Gretna Green. And it's
1: well done here.
0: I love I'll that. The I, point. That's, that's one of the things I, I really like about this book. I love it.
1: So she is, as we mentioned, a wallflower heiress. This yes. This is the Wallflower series, and she's an heiress. And he is the impoverished aristocrat.
0: Yes. I mean, he's the heir to a dukedom as well. So he's not just any aristocrat.
1: Right. Kind of so, but I think that he needs he says in the first couple of pages that he can't pay his bills next month. Like, yep. stuff is real bad for him. Mm-hmm. And and he's
0: actually we'll get there. I, I like I like the portrayal. I like Sebastian. <laughs> yeah, I get it. So, <laughs> I know Elaine is giving me the I. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But He's not, it's not because of him that the estate has been run into the ground.
1: No, no, his father is completely a spendthrift.
0: Yeah, and so, like, yes, Sebastian has been raised to be sort of a spoiled person, but it's also not necessarily his fault.
1: He's lived within his allowance. The fact that his allowance was something the dukedom could not support, he was basically not aware of until it right. was too late. Exactly. Exactly. So he lives very extravagantly, but as far as he knew, within his means. Yeah.
0: So we do have the a, a little offshoot of the you-don't-know-your-beautiful
1: trope, which is the she-was-beautiful-all-along trope. Right. So Evie's defining characteristic, as far as most people see, is that she has a very, very severe stammer. Yeah. Especially it's- in public settings, which is the way most people see her. And so Sebastian admits to himself that he really looking, seeing her for the first time, that she's stunning. He just had never noticed it before because she's so awkward. Yeah. And uncomfortable to talk, like in society because of her stammer. Yeah. So it was more, I think it was, it's
0: less that you don't know you're beautiful and more she was overlooked because she really
1: was so socially awkward. Yeah. I think that's a little bit hard to believe, but in a way I'm willing to suspend disbelief for. Yes, exactly. Like, she's stunningly beautiful to the point that you have the subtrope, which I didn't put in here because it's not. eh, eh, But the, oh, my God, you're not wearing a corset. Your body just looks like that. Like, I find it hard to believe that, like, someone who's that level of a knockout with the money she has that no one's noticed she's also, like, smoking hot
0: yeah i I mean but sure whatever yeah part of it is that her family's sort of been trying to maybe keep her anyway we'll we'll talk about it uh what is love so there's the whole is this feeling i'm feeling love i don't know i i don't hate it
1: my eyes are like in the back of my head (laughs) um we've got her comfort he gets And it's in in sacrifice for her that he becomes injured. So Mm -hmm. like double down on that double down. Yeah. And
0: it's I mean, it's very gory too. the hurt comfort. The comfort is gory.
1: There's two really gory things in this book. One is the nature of Sebastian's injury. And the other is the villain, and I put this under like offensiveness as a trigger warning, but I'll just say it now, is dying from the ravages of syphilis. Mm-hmm. And the description of his body at the end is like real visceral.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, It's pretty gross. So
0: she has got a really horrible family. So this is what I was referring to before. So you said, oh, it would be hard seems like it would be tough for them to hide her light under a bushel, right? Mm-hmm. If she truly is gorgeous and doesn't even need a corset or body and shaping.
1: And is rich. Like, if she was also poor or whatever. But, like, the fact is people would try to find redeeming qualities in her because they'd want her fortune.
0: Yeah. But her family is so horrible that they, I mean, they've, she's an abused child. She's been abused by her, her mother's family. Yes. And um, one of the things they've done is decide that she's going to marry her cousin so that they'll just keep the money in the family. So it seems to me like maybe they were trying
1: to keep the money there. Like they thought, okay, if
0: she can make an aristocratic connection, that's fine. But. Right. That like the
1: first option was she gets them a title in the family because the family is good of good stock, quote unquote, but has no aristocracy in it. So if she can move the family into the aristocracy, that's plan A. But plan B is she marries her cousin so they don't lose the cash. Yeah. So really awful family. Uh, yeah, it's and it's described in text like the way they beat her. Mm-hmm. And it's very bad. Um, so we have several instances in this book. Of the characters knowing more than doctors at the time this is is just always one of my favorite tropes like sick people should be kept in stuffy rooms with the windows shut to make sure that like they're maximizing their internal whatever and people are like no open the windows fresh air and circulation is important yeah i'm gonna bleed you to make you better no don't take my blood i've already bled so much and it's like i mean modern medicine says yeah duh but like Clearly back then they would have been like, yeah, stick the leeches on me. That sounds yeah. fine.
0: I, I, I love it. I'm sorry. I agree with Lane. Like this is such an amazing trope. I think it's so awesome. Mm-hmm. My favorite is when it's the woman who just somehow knows what to do. I read a medieval. So one of my first romance novels was a Julie Garwood medieval. And she cauterizes a wound for him because, of
1: course, she knows how to do it better. <laughs> well and you have it from both of them in this one because in the beginning her father's ill and she's the one who's like i think this sick room is stuffy i'm gonna bathe him and open some windows and then when sebastian is ailing he is like don't let them bleed me i can tell i'm too weak <laughs> It's like, don't do it it'll kill me and she's like all right i'll i'll, I'll do it i'll um, also and this is one of my favorite tropes and i admit this is a problematic trope where one character starts initiating sexual acts on another, and they start dreaming about it, and then wake up and realize it's really happening. Mm-hmm. Like I recognize consent is ambiguous in these situations, so I usually only like it when consent is pretty clear. Mm-hmm. But I do like the like weirdly, I'm turned on in this dream about a well. <laughs> oh wait, there's a dude between my legs. Oh wait, wait, there's really a dude between my legs. <laughs> I, I think it's fun. I like it. Yeah. And that's, it's, it's well executed here. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And we can, we can even talk about it in sexiness because
1: we, we will. We will. So I just want to point out before we get into the book that Meg is usually the one who catches like textual problems. Yeah. But there is a part in the middle of this novel where Evie gets her own name wrong.
0: Yeah. I mean, she, it's it's annoying. It's definitely annoying. And the editor should have caught that for sure.
1: She's giving herself a pep talk and she's thinking about good old Evie Jennings and her last name is Jenner, which is made even more obvious by the fact that the gambling hell they run is called Jenner's. hmm. Like. This is the kind of thing that I might not have always picked up on, but in this it was like, dude, you've the word Jenner has been written in this book like 75 times so far. How was I not going to catch this?
0: Yeah, it's a it's an issue and definitely editor should have caught that. I mean, that's that's I mean, yeah,
1: you can blame Kleypas, but I would blame the editor. Oh, I totally blame the editor, but I'm just like I don't know where to put that in our review because it's yeah. not actually something that makes me hate it, but it's such an obvious mistake that I feel like it had to be mentioned.
0: Yeah. So as you can guess, this is definitely, I mean, you don't have to guess. We've already said it. This is one of my favorite romance novels. I don't know. I don't know what to say about it. I love the, I love the setup. So I love, it has a lot of my favorite tropes. So I love the marriage of convenience and they learn to love each other. I, I like a bad boy who gets reformed a little bit. And, and I do like a true bad boy because we've talked often about how the bad boys aren't really bad. Mm -hmm. For me, he is just bad enough. I think for Lane, he was awful, basically. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know. I I get it. It's definitely problematic. I recognize it. At the same time, I still kind of defend whatever, you know, like, yeah, he tried to rape
1: Lily. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. You know, he he didn't actually rape her. (laughs) here's, Here's what I'll say. As we discussed in the It Happened One Autumn review, he did violate her. He did take the top of her dress off and, like, touch her breasts without her permission. And Meg urged me to read this acting like It Happened One Autumn had never happened. Yes, I did. I I do think I tried to have that mentality. I think he's an asshole in this book. (laughs) Yeah. I think he's mean. Yeah. He never actually... And you talk about his arc, and I get it. He goes from being a total wastrel to responsible for something. He goes about caring about nothing but himself to being willing to sacrifice himself for Evie. But, like, he never actually articulates any of his growth. Yeah. To the point that even in the finale, he's trying to end things between them, and she has to tell him how he feels. Right. Which, to me, ultimately made his character arc really unsatisfying. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's... I I can't... I'm not... I can't argue with you, but
1: No, no, no. I, It's it's I, a problematic rape thing. And like I yeah. said, no criticism because I've got mine. Yeah. But uh, I don't I don't know why he's not one of mine. Because, like, once again, we'll get there. The sex is smoking hot.
0: I mean, he practiced as a rake, and that practice practice makes perfect as they say.
1: Yeah, but I hated him. <laughs> So let's talk him.
0: about let's talk about something that you did like about the book that I also really liked is the the portrayal of the elopement to Gretna Green.
1: The way to Gretna Green I really to liked. The way yeah.
0: back I hated. Yeah. But the so what normally happens in a romance novel when they elope to Gretna Green is they meet in a carriage and they they head off for Gretna Green and
1: then they get there. And they're dusty, and they're tired, and they're travel-weary, but they're there, and it's fine. Yeah. That's the standard.
0: Yeah. In this book, she's like, we have got to make it there. This is, it reminds me of road trips. I don't know how your family was on road trips when you were younger, but with my family, my stepfather would get us up at, like, four in the morning. We'd all Mm -hmm. pack the car. We would literally take, like, one or two stops to and only if someone was like, I really need to stop because otherwise he just wanted to be on the road like and get there as fast as possible. So that was Evie in the book. Evie was like, we have got to get to Gretna Green because I do not want my family to have any chance of overtaking us.
1: Yeah. So let's back up a little bit. I will say both of their motivations are excellent. Mm Mm-hmm. Well thought out. This plot does not feel contrived at all. Sebastian, as we said, needs cash like ASAP Mm -hmm. just to keep himself solvent. And Evie, as we mentioned, her father owns a gaming hell. Her mother is of good family but died in childbirth. And so she was raised by her mother's relations because her father didn't want to raise her in the hell. And these relations have these schemes for her marriage that we've mentioned. Their newest plan is to marry her off to her cousin. But she's come to believe in recent weeks that their plan is to marry her off to her cousin and then murder her.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: But more importantly, her father is dying. Yeah. And her family is keeping her from seeing her father for reasons that sort of don't make sense. They just have basically out of cruelty decided that she can't see him. And so she views it as a high priority to see him before he dies and to not be forced into this arranged marriage with a cousin she hates. And so she, and she thinks about it. She articulates in the text, I thought about going to my friends. I thought about seeking refuge elsewhere, but the reality is for a woman right now, the only thing that can truly offer me protection from their schemes is a husband. Mm-hmm. And, and she's a husband, like, mm-hmm. she's like, I know you need money. And a husband who has reason to stand up for them. Mm -hmm. And I don't have time to make someone fall in love with me. Like, I don't have time to, like, trust on someone caring enough about me. I don't want to stand up to them. You are desperate for cash. You need me alive and willing. This works. And I will say, like, a lot of times marriage of convenience plots feel pretty thin. And this one does not. Like, both Mm -hmm. of them have really excellent motivation. And you understand what puts them in that carriage to Gretna Green in chapter one. I mean, I...
0: I I realize you didn't like Sebastian, but I think you would agree with me that probably the first three chapters are are well done.
1: Yes. Oh, my God, yes. Right? I think um, that's kind of, I think I can only truly love loathe something when I saw potential in it. Yeah. Like, there were so many parts of this that if just a couple of things had been qu- tweaked, I could have loved it, but that makes the fact that they weren't tweaked all that much worse. Yeah um
0: so anyway this trip to Gretna Green is basically hell on earth it's it's in the winter as the title of the book implies
1: and like so as they go north it just keeps getting colder so she thinks she's as cold as she can get and then they go six hours north and she's like mother of god I'm gonna freeze to death she's
0: they're both completely exhausted because they
1: you they can't sleep in a carriage and they're
0: not hooking up in the carriage because they still can resist each other at this point
1: Mm -hmm. in the book and well and they're both so like frantic yes like there's nothing sexy about their trip to gretna green yes no nothing they they feel they're hunted animals trying to get away with something
0: and by the time they arrive in gretna they both I mean, this is how I imagine it's actually not written in the text, but they both are like kind of smelly. They've been awake for like two, like 48 hours straight, just mm-hmm. switching teams every time they might fall asleep. they And probably wake back up.
1: longer because it took them two days to get to Gretna, but she showed up in his apartments mm-hmm. at 10 p.m. one night. Like they've mm-hmm. probably been up for closer to three days. Yeah. So they finally get to Gretna
0: Green. They get married and then they fall into bed and fall immediately asleep.
1: I mean props for the bathing first. Yeah. I also like this is the other thing I like about Klepis. Other authors would have articulated their exhaustion by being like and they fell into bed and I without appreciate without picking off shoes or whatever yeah. yeah and I appreciated Lisa's dedication to they are too gross to get into a clean bed. Uh-huh. Cuz I mean haven't we all been there when we're totally dead tired but like you're not getting in your bed like that.
0: You're at least gonna rinse off your feet or something. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I appreciated <laughs> that like they were disgusting and she was a walking zombie and to the point that he had to like help her brush her teeth, but they still managed it.
0: Yeah. So and then when they wake up, they have sex. It's like amazing sex, too. Which awesome. I'm not gonna props, I'm not gonna complain. But then That's I guess this, Meg through the camera. <laughs> yeah. So this is this is where it takes a turn. Um Lane, well, So basically, Sebastian reverts back to being an asshole. I mean, this trip to Gretna has not all of a sudden made him appreciate Evie.
1: And Evie was very clear up front because he asked, in this marriage of convenience, are we bedfellows? And she was like, once, this marriage needs to be legal.
0: Exactly. She was like, I will do it with you once. And then after that, I'm done. Mm -hmm. And
1: she even leaves leaves open based on some comments like, yeah, fine heirs, whatever. Like, we'll think about that when the time comes. Yeah. But, like, basically, the sexual dynamic will not be an ongoing part of our relationship. Mm-hmm. And so the second night when he's turned on by her and he asks her, like, did you mean it? Are we done? And she's like, yep. He gets pissed. Yeah. Which I'd like to point out makes him a real asshole. I'm not arguing here. He I is know. a
0: real asshole, which I don't know. I You have to have one one alpha asshole who's your favorite and i guess sebastian is mine
1: which is funny because he's not all that much of an alpha
0: i guess i don't know
1: to me he's too much of a dandy i like that I know, I know you do but like it's funny to me because like of all the alphas you can pick this one is like it makes sense that it's yours It makes, like that's what I saying. come on Lane you know it makes sense that it's mine it does it totally does all of you started thinking you're like wait actually
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I get it yeah no I'm trying to justify the jealousy and the fighting because you usually hate those things but like no okay in that context of like of all the alphas you were gonna like the dandy this makes sense right so the, the other thing I
0: like about the book um, is Evie's character. So mm-hmm. I really do, of all the Wallflowers, I honestly think she gets the most character development. I agree with you, but that's kind of damning with faint praise. That's fair. The The problem with the Wallflowers, we have talked about this in books one and two, is that they are kind of boring. Right? Yeah. They, I mean, like, they're women questing to get married. Right. Their only ambition is to get married. They don't have, you know, Evie could have said, I'm going to get married and then I'm going to run the gaming hell.
1: I wanted that. There's two things I wanted from this book. And one of them was for Evie to have any fucking interest in her inheritance. Yeah. And she just didn't. She just wasn't interested in it. And not to the point that she rejected it to the point that, like, it's never mentioned. Yeah
0: exactly she's like yeah this is mine but
1: like you as
0: long as you get the money from it i don't care what you do with it basically like her ambition is she thinks they're gonna sell
1: it and she doesn't like question that she's surprised when that's clearly not the immediate
0: exactly and she's worried that he's not selling it because she's like wait you're not gonna get any money Mm -hmm. um so, I mean, that is that is the issue with all four of the Wallflowers, is that none of them have any other ambition than to get married and continue living a privileged life. Now, in Evie's case, I find it
1: the most plausible. Because, because her life prior was not privileged. Exactly. Like, Annabelle knows what it was to be aristocracy and then to fall, so her goal is to get back to it. Lillian and Daisy are rich and privileged, but they don't have the... Cachet that a title gets them. So they just want to be rich and privileged with the title. And really their mom does. They just want to make their family happy. Yeah. Whereas Evie, as like an abused, trodden upon person, you it makes sense that a life that's just easy would be the most appealing thing.
0: Exactly. And not only that, she's willing to forego any part of society. She's willing, she thinks that by marrying St. Vincent, she's not gonna be able to even see her friends anymore.
1: Which she's sad about, but she's also like
0: She's like, I'd rather be alive and isolated from my friends than my friends come to my funeral because they're really sad I died.
1: Yeah. And that's actually her logic. And it is logical. She's not overreacting.
0: And so I think that's the reason why I could accept it here Mm -hmm. and not piss me off. Whereas the other books, I'm just like, come on, Lillian, don't you have any other ambition in life than to make some perfume for yourself and your friends?
1: But if you were wor- if you were worried that L- Lillian was like not going to show up and continue making perfume, don't worry. She's, She's in all the rest of the books making perfume. <laughs> Fine. So so honestly,
0: I I like Evie's character arc and I like mm-hmm. Sebastian's character arc, which again is why I like the book. I do find them dynamic, plausible characters. I think
1: my struggle is like they fight a lot, right? Yeah. And. I can like a couple that argues in literature. My problem is that what they argue about is her autonomy.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And so I feel like her constantly learning to be assertive and stick up for herself in the context of, should you be allowed basically to live your life the way you want to takes it from like romantic and empowering to abusive. Like, The fact that what he wants to argue, like, if she had wanted to fight him on, like, his choices running the club, I would have thought that it was a really great character development. Mm -hmm. Like, she has opinions, too. She's grown up in this club. She might know more about it than him. Maybe he's not making the right choices and her, like, developing the backbone to call him out on that. Or, like, I would have loved it if she'd called him out on his treatment of Cam. Mm -hmm. He treated Cam terribly, like, and you were supposed to forgive it because he gave Cam responsibilities, like, proving he didn't have prejudice, but he was still a jealous monster who said awful things. Like, I wish Evie would have stuck up to him on those fronts instead of, like, constantly having to fight him on what she should be allowed to do.
0: Yeah. I I guess I see it, I don't see it as an abusive situation. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should. I don't. Um, I see it as as a valorization of what is traditionally feminine, which I think is something important. In romance novels and that romance novels do often she's fighting for her right to feel the emotions that she wants to feel so her whole life she's been Mm. having to hide everything and now she's like no i can it's not just i can live my life on my own terms it's also my feelings are important i can express them to someone
1: without fear of of being And I can see from her perspective why that's empowering, but it doesn't change the fact that what he's trying to dictate is, is she allowed to be in the room with her dying father? Yeah. Does she have to go back to the townhouse? Does she have to go off to the country to live with his father? Like, he attempts to dictate a lot under her. He tries, yeah. And, like, cool, she doesn't let him, but the fact that he's even trying is gross again i see it as a he's
0: again this is a and this is something i would bitch about in any other book and i get that but what he's doing is um trying to be the traditionally masculine person and she's fighting back in a feminine way which i appreciate
1: i want to burn it down but i see your point <laughs> we're gonna look we're gonna just disagree about we're it just gonna just, yeah but like I, you're right it's it is absolutely the prototype masculine feminine her him making assertions out of
0: protection the whole protection, protection like
1: emotional uh-huh. fear basically yes. like he's scared for her and he asserts that by making these dictates and she soothes him into letting her have her way that whole dynamic pisses me off.
0: I, I, I get it. It's the thing you read about in women's magazines where you you tell your husband a problem and he tries to fix it and you're like, no, I don't want you to fix it for me. I want you to listen to my problem and then say "Oh my god, you you're totally justified in your feelings."
1: Like that's what this that's what this the conflict in this book is. <laughs> Except it's about her autonomy, and that's uh, that's what I really feel like the difference yeah. is for me. Like I said, yeah. if if he'd been domineering and controlling and like belittling her opinion, and like I'm not saying any of that would have been okay, but that's what she chosen to go to bat over and educate him on and reform him on. I would have been like, cool, they're both growing from this. But the fact that what he's trying to do is control her pisses me off. Um, yeah. So then,
0: uh, so basically, what is the turning point when do we realize that Sebastian has made a a true change internally and is now no longer the asshole that he pretends to be on the outside
1: um he has a near-death experience and it causes him to apologize to the people he's wronged and internally sort of admit his feelings for Evie but like halfway
0: yeah I mean And I think this is the only this that it had to rise to this level for him to be redeemed. In my opinion, there was no other way to redeem this character than to have him give his life for someone else.
1: Right. Because ultimately. Evie makes the decision that they're not going to sleep together, and I promise this is relevant, dear listeners, (laughs) Um, because she knows she can't handle being one of several. Yeah. She knows this is a marriage of convenience. She's not going to impose fidelity unto him, but like he doesn't get any of her then. If he wants to sleep with other people, great, he doesn't get to sleep with her. And while I think his vow of celibacy to prove to her that he can be faithful like, might solve the sex thing, it doesn't ultimately solve the he's a rash and selfish person because ultimately... Yeah. Even if he can prove he can be faithful to her and only have sex with him, her for the rest of his life, that still benefits him. Yes. So, like, an act of true selflessness was needed. And what is more self-sacrificing than laying down your life for somebody? What's more self-sacrificing than actual self-sacrifice, right? L- literally.
0: <laughs> exactly. Like, exactly. Exactly. So, I... I have, again, I've so much about near-death experience and blah, blah, blah. Like, that's the only way you realize that that's how you're in love with someone. But in this case, he tried, he, it wasn't a near-death experience because he fell off his horse, which is what bringing down the Duke. It wasn't a near-death experience because he was locked in a cold room by somebody else. This was a near-death experience because he tried to protect, he did, like, bodyguard, secret service thing, jumped in front of a bullet for Evie. So I was like, Okay, I can get on board with this near death
1: experience. I can Oh, look, yeah.
0: I'm defending my problematic fave real hard here.
1: You really are. Um, that scene was hilarious. It so was. So Sebastian <laughs> is bleeding out on the floor of the club in Evie's lap. He just took a bullet for her. She and Westcliff, who, well, let's not even get into all that, are like attempting to stop the flow of blood. And Sebastian is trying to explain that there's no way anyone is killing him over Evie because it's not a love match.
0: Yeah, he's like, no one. He's like, why would they try? Because uh, somebody suggests that the reason Evie was targeted was to get to Sebastian. He's like, why would they? Why would they do that? It's not a love match. Like he's and dying, and he says and
1: so. he, he's dying, and like the tableau they make is like so great a romance, and. Westcliffe is just observing it, like, dude, you don't even know what you're saying. It makes no sense.
0: Yeah, he's like, oh, really?
1: <laughs> okay, yeah, not a love match. Sounds good. Oh uh-huh,
0: yeah, I mean, I look, I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so basically, I love this book. Land I mean, hates this book.
1: It's just hard. And the thing I don't think we covered is Sebastian is downright mean to Evie anytime they get close to, like, an emotional reconciliation. Yeah. So he's nice to her, and, like, she's kind of shocked by how nice he is on the ride up and, like, when her father's dying and sort of these moments that do ingratiate emotional closeness between two people but don't necessarily represent a, like, romantic love based on fidelity anytime they get close to that sort of connection he lashes out and says awful things Mm -hmm. he like picks on her stammer or on how sheltered she is or and it's 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 very cruel. and she justifies it as like after all the awful things her family did like his words could have the capacity to hurt her Mm -hmm. And she thinks that, like, twice in the text. Yeah. And that's really fucked up. And, like, and I think that's kind of what I struggle with, is if it was all him struggling with his own past Mm -hmm. and him struggling with how to care about another person on the same level or more than himself. And his behavior reflected that. I could have understood it, but the way he treated her was unforgivable to me. And that doesn't even get into like how severely jealous he was and how he freaked out on like the woman had no family. Her dad was it. And like the two people she'd known in the club her whole life, one of whom was a drunk he fired in the very beginning for stealing money from the club. And the other is this brother figure who, when they hug in the immediate aftermath of her father's death and he kisses her hair, Sebastian then basically tells the guy, you ever kiss her again, I cut off your dick. (laughs) And it's like, it was the most, it was a brother and sister hugging, mourning their dad. And Sebastian can't even get past it in that moment. Yeah. And like, I, I said this in the very beginning, but like the very end of the book is him coming to tell her after she's almost killed you need to leave you're too distracting to have around me i promise to be faithful to you and i'll visit you like once every six months (laughs) and she's like what the hell no you're just scared you love me and then he's like you're right i love you we're never gonna be apart and it's like he didn't grow up enough to recognize his own fucking feelings are you kidding me (laughs) oh lane like and this is not even me bitching about the fact that he sexually assaulted her best friend in the previous book, and she has to justify midway. Yeah, but he wouldn't have raped her. I mean, there's a there's a scene where they talk about it, and she's like, "Oh, actually, you you never would have done it, would you?" And like, I'm I'm sorry, but he did force himself upon her. He yeah. might not have raped her, but like, there was some non consensual shit happening. Yeah, that that yes, was not relevant. So, But I'm saying, like, even if I ignore that, I hated this. Add this in. And Sebastian is, in my mind, irredeemable.
0: Yeah. He was 100% redeemed in my book.
1: So I'm going to start offensiveness with saying all of Sebastian offends me. But then you can talk about the stuff that is, like, more, I guess, minute. Sure. So content
0: warning, trigger warning. We've talked about this. Evie's relatives abuse her physically,
1: verbally, emotionally. They probably would have killed her. I oh, mean, no, you, you're left with no doubt that, like, the ultimate plan was to, like, starve her to death in the basement. Yeah, so... the. End, don't worry, not, she may have been starved, but her body is smoking.
0: Yeah, I mean, she's one of those girls who, when they lose weight, they don't lose weight in the chest area. All well, I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... Cool. So, basically, her family's, like, really, 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 really awful, and it's not mm-hmm. kept off the page. Like, they come and try to get her, and they, like, slap her around and try to kidnap her and it's, it's really awful so yeah um there were lane talked about this already there are some graphic descriptions of the ravages of syphilis so like real graphic i don't think it's offensive but it's
1: it's just trigger warning weird. like if you if you don't like gore There's like some the dude is missing a nose
0: Yeah. So there's that part, but then also after Sebastian gets shot, like, there's some real, like, they talk about dressing his wound and, like, irrigating the wound and cutting out dead flesh and, like, how it smells and it's really gross. Um, so that's in there, yeah. too, which is actually probably did not help Lane at all with this book because I know she doesn't like that stuff either.
1: No, and by with that, I don't mind, like, medical stuff. I don't like bodily functions. Okay. Um, so, like, there, yeah. Yeah. So I was actually OK with all this. Oh,
0: OK. So the, and then there was one thing I know this is really silly, but I picked up on it this time. And I've read this book a lot of times. But there's <laughs> there's this part in the book where Sebastian's like got to learn how to fight so he can earn the respect of all the people who work at the casino because yeah. he doesn't fight very well. Like he fights OK for an aristocrat, but he doesn't. Like, there's this part where he doesn't want to learn how to do dirty tricks.
1: Killing bullshit. Like, um, like you have to prove yourself to your staff that you can be a real man. And a real man means violence.
0: Yeah. And then there's this whole part, too, where he does fight off. And, of course, he's fighting off Evie's attackers. So he's fought off these men who've attacked Evie.
1: And Mm -hmm. then
0: he goes in and he's full of spit and vinegar and wants to get it on with her in the billiards room. And Cam is like, you know, you just have to she's he's like i think sebastian wants to talk to you and cam's like what do you or evie is like what do you mean and cam's like well you'll learn
1: (laughs) he says directly and i i only remember this because i hated it so much men are full of sap after a fight
0: there you go i said spit and vinegar it was actually sap
1: yeah it was i it was weird to me because i think piss and vinegar too and so i remember it anyway um, but anyway, I mean... That, that 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 scene in that room was very hot. That's the thing.
0: Okay, so let's talk about sexiness, because this book is sexy. It is...
1: So, the thing is, he's an expert at sex, mm-hmm. a la the Viscount who loved me, but she's put this restriction on basically him getting to penetrate her which Basically. he, he takes that, she says, we're not going to have sex. She does to have
0: sex, sex. And he Super says. Super literally. So well, he also, he defines it. He says, I, doesn't mean I can't, number one, try to convince you. And number two, I, we can
1: kiss. But even try, like, she words it very specifically that he can't have sex for three months. It doesn't okay. say except with her. Right. Like he loses the bet if he has sex in the first three months. Also true. And so, He says, but I can kiss you. She never technically agrees to those terms. But then he basically points out, you didn't say where. (laughs) Yeah. So one, he's like making out with her. And then he's describing in graphic detail what he wants to do to her. Like, there aren't that many scenes of like anything penetrative in this book. Mm. And yet it's so erotic. It's very erotic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'll just say that there are parts where she's like, oh, I
1: can't. I can't come again. He's like, oh, yes, you can. And like, then again. <laughs> Sometimes I wish I, our listeners could see me because I feel like yeah. I emote a lot.
0: I was like, I feel like we're trying to get something across here, but.
1: Physically that we just can't because it's an audio an, medium. But um, yeah, it's oh yay yay and it's interesting too because I feel like there is a degree and this is a mid 2000s book as we've discussed and I think when I've read older romance novels the language is a little bit more florid Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and this does feel like it's like at a splitting point Mm -hmm. like I feel like in the late 90s there was a lot of talk of like essence yeah. And, like, euphemism. And this, like, walks the line where there were some word choices where I was like, that's not really sexy. But then the next sentence would be so sexy I'd stop caring.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and this walks a very fine line with
1: consent as well. Well, did we mention the fact that the first time starts with him, like, physically turning her on while she's still asleep? Yeah. So, I mean, there's that, which...
0: I see why it's not consensual, but I can also see, because they talked about it before, she was like, we have to make sure this marriage is consummated. And he's making right. sure it's consummated at the earliest point. So, right. I, like I'm saying, there's a fine right. line here. And the same thing in the billiards room. Like, he said he could kiss her. He never said where. She doesn't say no, but
1: she never said yes. Well, and flip side, when he's in his sick bed and yep. she's decided that she's, like, forgiven him and doesn't want to deal with this bullshit ultimatum anymore he's resisting because he wants to prove to her he can and she's like "Uh, no and once again fine line because like you know he's not resisting because he doesn't want her
0: Mm
1: -hmm. but he is saying no yes and then
0: again like i said she says i can't come anymore please stop and he's like oh no
1: you can i that one bothers me less
0: (laughs) (laughs) but i'm just i'm just saying there's again there's this line right
1: Right, but I feel like that's not a no, I'm not interested in engaging with you sexually. Yeah. It's a different kind of no. But she does say no. Um, Okay, this
0: book is smoking hot.
1: Yeah, like, if you have any capacity to get past problematic heroes, or if, like, the hyper masculine assertiveness jealousy thing is your thing you're gonna love this yeah
0: i mean this book is is extremely popular
1: in the romance world right i would have castrated him pretty early on yeah so on the whole i don't recommend the wallflower series at all I
0: love this book, so I can't not recommend it. But honestly, I would say skip them all and just read this one.
1: Thank you so much for listening.